This is Isaka's Page to Podcast. Hi, and thank you for joining us today. I'm Safia Kazi, Privacy Professional Practices Principal at Isaka. And joining me today to talk about his recently released Isaka Journal article, Cyber Decisions Only Executives Make, is Executive Principal for Risk Masters International, Stephen Ross. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure. So to get us started, why is it that so many organizations think of cybersecurity as solely being an IT and information security concern rather than an overall business concern? Well, that's easy because then it's somebody else's problem. That's how you make things disappear. Call it somebody else's problem. That's a flip answer, but it's it's also indicative of the of the fact that because there's so much reliance on information systems for running businesses, it has become kind of transparent to most business managers what the computer is actually doing. And the, the fact that it can actually not do what it's supposed to do is a bit of a shock. And it's much easier to just say, well, let IT deal with that. I'm going to make sure that I continue to sell products and hire employees and do all the things that that is my job description, let them do theirs. And so what are some of the implications of organizations not thinking about cybersecurity as an overall business concern? Well, the, the point is it is an overall business concern because if you are that reliant on information systems and either they start leaking information that you don't want to have leaked, whether it's private or secret, or they go down altogether and you can't use them, which is obviously worse, then they don't know what to do. They haven't thought it through. And the whole purpose of this article was to, if not wake executives up, wake information security professionals up to the fact that they should be raising these issues with their own management as quickly as possible because there's things down the line that have to be decided. And I know I'm not gonna list those because you're gonna start asking me some questions. I sure am. Um, (laughs) So can you give us some concrete examples? What are some of the business related matters that should be incorporated into cybersecurity plans? Well, first of all, what are you gonna do when the time comes? And it depends on what the event is, making some distinction between a loss of data or theft of data and the inability to to use the systems. You don't want to have a a one-size-fits-all response because it's not a one-size-fits-all problem. Secondly, you need to to ask the, the basic question, what can I do if I don't have a computer system what are my alternatives? There's the question of, you know, we always say, well, we have to make sure we can recover the critical systems. We must not forget systems, critical business activities. Sure, but what are the ones that are critical and what are the ones that are less critical? You may have already made some of these decisions in terms of a business continuity plan, but those decisions were often in the presumption that the systems would be there, but the office isn't. And now, of course, we have the experience of two years of, of, of two and a half now of a pandemic with people working remotely. 
lo and behold, they figured out they could do that without the office. But now what can you, what will you do if you don't have the system itself? Oh, wow. And then you say, okay, well, we'll, we'll figure out something for the critical activities. What about the non-critical activities? Maybe let's say uh, legal or strategic planning. They're, they're not considered critical. I'm not saying it's true, but as a, you know, just a, a gimme here. Then what do they do? You tell them, okay, sorry, you, you know, you're the legal department. Go home, read your law books, and we'll we'll call you to come back when the when the uh, systems come back up. I don't have easy answers for any of those things, but I do know that they all have to be considered, and there are answers, but only if you prepare for them in advance. If you have to do it the day that the attack occurs, you're in a heap of hurt. Yeah, you, you know, people don't make good decisions under stress. They make much better decisions when they've got cool heads. Yeah, and you, in your article, write that senior executives are the only ones who can draw the line between a disturbance and a crisis. Right. Can you give us some examples of where that line might be drawn and what it is that distinguishes the two? There's disturbances every day. <laughs> if things always went well and went according to plan, we really wouldn't need middle managers. We would just need somebody to set strategic decision and then let let the uh, lower level of people just carry out the tasks. But there are always tactical micro decisions that need to be made on a day-to-day -day basis. Now we're saying one of those decisions is how do I work without the tools that I need to carry out my job? How do I build bricks without straw? The distinction between a disturbance and a crisis always falls back on the this determination as to how long can you go without it. We have many situations in which, oh, my PC does something strange, and then you, you reboot, and it goes away, and here we are again. And then there's situations where you can't reboot because everything's gone. That becomes a crisis if it begins to affect your ability to conduct normal business affairs over the long term, number one. And number two, if that inability to process is going to have a direct effect, the keyword being direct, a direct effect on the organization's ability to fulfill its mission. And so when it comes to whether or not systems should be shut down in the event of a cyber event, what mm -hmm. are some of the questions and principles that can help organizations and executives make decisions to best determine whether or not systems should be shut down? The issue has to be confronted in advance. If you are in the middle of a ransomware attack, for example, the decision's taken out of your hands. That's not something that senior management has to do. The system's not working. They've they've shut. They've they've locked up the data and taken the key in, in, a, in a literal sense. But if you are in the midst of a data loss that somebody's stealing information, well, what do you do? If I know that our personnel files have been stolen, okay, they're gone. Uh, you know, it's already happened. Do I stop doing HR activities? Do I make a decision that I will close them down until they're fixed? 
Do I set them up in such a way that I can continue to capture data, but not update master files? I mean, the, the, I don't have a single answer to a very broad question. The point is that the potentials for what kind of attack might occur and the effects of that happening should be thought through and the actions to be taken should be decided in advance because panic sets in. I've, I've seen it in too many organizations. Uh, my God, we're, we're, we're under a cyber attack, Steve. What do we do now? So, well, number one, take a deep breath. Number two, let the people try to fix the problem. Number three, go to your business continuity plan and say, what are you, what are you going to do while the systems are down? Oh, your business continuity plan only addresses loss of physical assets, you know, you, you desks and chairs and telephones, but not of information systems. Well, you really should have thought about that in advance. Here we are now. You're going to have to wing it for now. So, you know, that's not a good answer. The right answer is to have thought about it in advance and written the plan and tested the plan and maintained the plan for what we'll do in the event that you can't use your information systems. Everything from an alternate system to capturing data manually or on spreadsheets or you know on a, on a brown paper bag and entering it later. I mean, there's too many potential solutions to say this is the right one, but you be, should be thinking about what those would be, including very much important is how much of a loss is too great a loss. If the impact is an, an annoyance, but we can always get the data later, and you know, if if we're bringing in new hires, all right, they're not going to they're not going to be put on the payroll system on Monday, but we'll put them on the payroll system on Tuesday. They will get paid. All right, that's one thing. If it's we can't sell products, we can't ship products, we can't collect revenue. Uh, that's a very different story. Again, so it, it drives the decision as to how much you want to invest in either preventive and, and corrective actions in advance, or I hate to say this, how much you're willing to pay the uh, the bad guys to end the ransomware, or the ransom in this case. Yeah, and you've talked a lot about planning, um, but I think it's important that these plans don't just, you know, it's not a once and done kind of thing. So how often should plans be reviewed and what are some events that might trigger an organization to revise or update their plans? Well, that's two questions. How often to be reviewed? I think it's more event driven than time driven. When there's a new system, when there's a new business, when there's a new business function, when when you acquire a, a, a subsidiary, when you sell off a subsidiary, things of that nature. At, at some point, yes, every, as a basic rule of thumb, I always say business continuity plans should be reviewed not less than every three years and not more than every five. So that, I think that rule of thumb still applies. But as I say, the driver is more events, business events. But I think also, very much so, technology events. If you uh, put in a new ERP system or a new customer relationship management system, that's going to 
dramatically change the way you do business, then you better figure out in advance what you're going to do if you don't have those systems to now conduct business. And so I'm sure we have some security professionals who are listening to this and have said, I've tried. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's people who are listening to this and saying, I've tried to bring this to executives, but they just don't seem to understand why this is a business issue. So how can security professionals go about explaining the business impacts that a cyber event could have to executive management? I think it's, it's isolating the decisions that have to be made. And who and identifying who has to make them, and that may be you know it would ra- rarely have to go to the board, I don't think, and for that matter, rarely have to go to the CEO. But there's probably a crisis management team in many organizations. Those are generally the ones who are going to have to face the problem when it occurs. I think they are receptive to suggestions of what they should be doing before it occurs. I don't think it's that hard to to have security professionals get the attention of of senior executives. What I think the problem is, is that security professionals often tend to state the problem in the effect on the system and aren't as eloquent in stating it, what the effect is on the business. They don't, they're not oriented to the business as well. So if they don't have the, the, vocabulary to, to to state the case and get the decision. I don't, you know, I don't think that's a, a universal. There's plenty of security people who understand business quite well. But I also think that it behooves them once they've identified where there's a problem that needs resolution that's outside their scope to frame it. And if it has to work with people that are better at communications, well, then bring in the IT auditors or bring in the, uh, the uh, strategic planners or the business continuity planners or anybody else who's used to making this kind of case to a senior level, a senior level executive. What they shouldn't do, and I think this is, I've seen this happen too, is in the absence of any decisions being made by the people who should make them, technologists make the decisions themselves will befall the organization when the time comes because it's unlikely in that scenario that the technologist will understand what the business is or they would have would have gotten the attention of senior management in the first place. Yeah, and so you actually did just kind of touch on this, but I think a lot of cybersecurity professionals, information security professionals want to be able to better communicate in ways that aren't quite as technical and mm-hmm. maybe more have more concrete, tangible impacts. Now, yeah. you're a really well-spoken, eloquent guy. Right. Do you have any strategies on how people can learn to communicate technical topics in a less complicated way and in a more impactful way? Well, I've been working on this for the past 50 years, so uh, that may be the answer, but I, I don't think so. I, you know, it's a sad fact of our of our business that we hire security people for their technical skills and fire them for their communication skills. I, I think it starts right at the at the point of determining the job description and interviewing candidates and making decisions about who to promote. It's not the one who understands the intricacies of the operating system and which parameters to set 
that's not necessarily the person you want in a leadership role. The person in a leadership role has to be able to make the case. And if we continue to say it's a, it's a technical problem, you're going to get technical solutions. And finally, before we wrap up, is there anything else on this topic that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I do want to return to that issue of paying the ransom. I mean, I don't want to leave this this discussion without saying, look, I'm against it. I, you know, morally, economically, and in fact, technically, I don't I don't think it's a good idea. I, I, I don't like paying off criminals. But having said that, the financial repercussions can be so great that the CFO and the CEO and the chief operating officer and a few others may be forced to say, we have to take the risk that the system will not work even if we pay. We have to take the risk that the data is not going to be returned to us even if we pay. But step up and do it because there really is no alternative. They also have a, a commitment to the shareholders to keep the company in business. To get make profit. That's that's going to be a secondary issue at this point. It's can we stay in business? And if the answer is this is a matter of corporate viability. I think I think the competing moral imperatives have to be resolved. And I think that thinking about that in advance and saying, all right, these are the circumstances in which we'll hold our nose and pay and get that approved at, a, at, a, at the topmost level. That should go to the board. We have to be realistic as well as moralistic. Thanks, Steve. And that's all we have time for in this episode of the podcast. But if you're interested in reading Steve's article, be sure to click the link in the episode description. That's all we have time for. I'm Safia Kazi, and thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Page to Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode.